time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Let's all stand together and lift your hands with me. Stand together. Lift them high, raise them high, raise them high. Jesus, Jesus, you're our common bond. Jesus, you're our savior. Jesus, you're our Lord. Jesus, you're the one that we worship. Jesus, you're the one who has redeemed us, saved us. You're our hope for tomorrow. And we have come here not to celebrate each other, not to celebrate a building, not to celebrate a state, not to celebrate a good time. We've come here to celebrate, stare at, gaze upon, and worship you above all things. So we gladly surrender our lives to you. God, for the next 70, 80 years right here, it's a band of people that are committed to following you. We love you. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm a preacher's kid. Are there any preacher's kids in the house? Yeah? I'm a, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. Are there anybody here? You've grown up in church most of your life. Let me hear you. All right. Yeah. Well, I grew up in church, and when I was eight years old, I got a gift for Christmas that was really hip. It was really cool. I got a three-piece pinstripe suit when I was eight years old. When I was eight years old, I got for Christmas a pinstripe suit. And when I, Some of you don't even know what that means, but <laughs> that means that I had the jacket, I had the pants, and I had the vest, the uber cool vest that buttons right here. And so when I was eight, I started wearing my, uh, my three-piece suit to church. I sit on the front row and I learned something. Now, one of the things I've learned is that when it comes to like sporting events, a lot of times you pay big money for box seats to sit down towards the front. Some kind of crazy thing in churches across the country. When you go on to church on Sunday morning, for some reason, the uh, front seat is often empty. So how many of you are committed to changing that, right? <laughs> well, I, I decided when I was eight, I was going to sit on the front row and I sat on the front row in my three-piece suit, and uh, I'd sit there, and one of the things I, that, that started to happen was people started to applaud me. I was eight years old, and my dad was the preacher, and uh, so I'd sit there, and, and I'd sit on the front row in a three-piece suit, only one on the front row, lots of times. Sometimes there was someone else there, but lots of times I'd sit on the front row. And, and one of the things I found was that people started to, you know, kind of say that it was cool, and People kind of, you know, thought that it was cute. And then there was this lady, she started giving me money. And so I kid you not, she would come up to me and she'd sneak up to me and she'd say, she, I mean, she was really old and she like, not like your mom old, like your great grandma old. And she'd hand me money and she'd be like, here. And she'd always say the same thing. This is for a McDonald. And she'd always give me a dollar, you know, and I started to get used to the idea that if I wore my suit, I sat on the front row in church, not only did I get some people saying, that's kind of cool, but I started to get money. And this lady would give me money week after week. I don't know how many dollars this lady gave me. And so I don't know how it starts to happen, but it happens in churches all over the country where we 
We start to reward young people for doing some good church stuff. Hey, if you guys want, those of you in the back, you need seats, you can come sit up here on the floor right here. If you want to storm the front, go ahead. Let's get these guys a hand. You guys, if you want seats, yeah, come on up. You can sit up here. That's all right. There you go. Yeah, give them a hand as they come. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come fast. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, that's good. All right. Wow, now everybody's coming. Holy Toledo, Batman. All right, good. All right, you got five seconds. If you're not here in five seconds, you got to sit wherever you're at. Five, four, three, two, one. Sit where you are. There you go. Boom, right there, right in the middle. Of the, yep, there it is. Yep. Yeah, okay, good. There it is. Good, good, good. Okay, good. Shh. All right, raise your right hand. All right, I religious kid on the front row. Promise not to talk. This I sweareth unto you, tall one. All right, good. All right, good. All right, so kind of like these guys, I, I, I started to figure out that if I, if I showed up, looked good, you know, did the right thing, people started to applaud it. I even made, I even made a couple do, I mean, dollars, you know, week after week. One of the things I've noticed, I've been in church now for a long time. I've been a youth pastor here for a long time. And one of the things that I've noticed and that I picked up upon is that we kind of have a religious culture. We have a culture where we, where we kind of reward for doing some, some religious stuff, where we kind of come together, we hang out together. And whether it's your family or whether it's your church or whether it's your youth pastor, I mean, we can come in here and it's like, yeah, we're together and we're singing songs together. And, and maybe even when you came, you know, on the van and you answered a question right, you know, you got a little award and you got camper of the week and you got, we got matching t-shirts and we got lights and we got sound and we've got buildings and we've got church buses and church vans and we've got preaching vegetables. I mean, we've got a whole, we've, we've got a whole culture. We've got a whole Christian religious culture that's kind of developed. And you know what? One of the things that you can do as an American Christian, a teenager living in the United States is you can be right in the middle, middle of that culture. You can wear the Christian t-shirt. You can have, you know, your flat build, you know, hat sideways with Jesus on it, you know. You can have, you can, you can wear girl jeans. You can, you can do a, lot, a whole lot of things. Right in the middle of the church world, people celebrate you. People be like, way to go. That's awesome. Way to go. You went to desperation. Way to go. You, I mean, you're on the front row, man. I mean, you're doing stuff. You, you went on the mission trip. Whoa. You memorized a verse. Jesus wept. Way to go. I mean, you got skills and we're so proud of you. And, we just, and, and you can start to feel on the inside like I'm doing the Jesus thing. I mean, I'm, I'm going to conferences and I'm going to church. I go to Wednesday night and I play chubby bunny. And I mean, I, I sing worship songs. I know. I mean, I can sing. You hold it all. I learned I am free when I was nine. I mean, you've got the church thing going on. You've got it down. And kind of like when I was eight years old, we don't even realize it, but there's a whole lot of people and they're going, good job. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. But I was reading I was reading about Jesus and I was reading this story in Luke 11 and I'm, I'm reading it and I'm watching the way that Jesus responds to religious people that don't know him. And it's a little scary. And I just want to read for you for a minute here. Luke chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus hanging out here. We're going to read a lot of Bible in Luke 11. We're just going to kind of work through Luke 11. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, 
this is a wicked generation. Now, I just, I don't know about you, but this cracks me up about Jesus. The more people he gets, the more ticked he gets. <laughs> I mean, doesn't Jesus understand that this will make the crowds angry? Imagine the whole crowd gets there and Jesus looks at them and says, you're wicked. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a rough start. But anyway, he says, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And Jesus says, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. So here's what Jesus is saying. He looks at these people. And here he is. He's God. I mean, he's the God of the ages. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's holy. He's perfect. He's true. He's the one that is... I mean, the one that they ought to worship, the one that they ought to be receptive to and listen and go, I want to hear what you have to say. And Jesus is trying to teach them and Jesus is wanting them to become Christ followers. He's wanting them to follow him. And yet with Jesus right there, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about the God of the ages walking around with skin on, on the earth right there and they're missing it. They're saying, hey, well, give us another sign. Mm, let's hear you teach some more. I'm not sure how that fits with what I believe about the Torah. And I'm just not so sure what my opinion is about you right now. And Jesus looks at them and he makes these statements that are stunning. He goes, you're going to, you, you, you don't, you don't have a clue what you're missing. You're missing the, the person of God. I'm right here. And then he looks at him and he says, what a wicked generation. What a twisted generation. What a messed up generation. I mean, you're not even, you, you don't even realize. I mean, there are other generations that did way better than you. You've got God right in front of you and you're going to miss it. And he says, I mean, like Jonah's generation. And Jesus kind of disses on Jonah here for a minute. Because he goes, I mean, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah wasn't the perfect prophet. You know, we know the story. We think mostly of children's church. You know, we think of Jonah and the big fish. You know, most of us think about kind of a a story that's kind of in our brain, but we don't think about like really God was using a prophet. He was using a man because he wanted to reach a people. So he wanted to reach the people of Nineveh. And so he sends Jonah and Jonah hears the word from God is told to go reach the people of Nineveh. And does Jonah go? Yes or no? No, no. Jonah goes and gets on a boat. He's like, I'm running away. Jonah goes, gets on a boat. God goes, all right, fine. I'm going to get, my will's going to be done here. He shakes the boat with the storm. Remember this story? Sends the, 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 the wind and the waves. Jonah says to the guys on board, listen, it's my fault. I'm disobeying God. Throw me overboard. They say, excuse me. He says, throw me overboard. And they said, well, what will that help? And they'll say, well, my God won't be mad at all of us and maybe you'll live. So they throw him overboard. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish or a whale. Are you, do you know this story? Yes? Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. And then he gets puked up on land. Regurgitated. Thrown up. The fish throws him up onto the land where he's supposed to go reach the Ninevites. Now, 
in obedience to God 101, Jonah didn't do that awesome. I mean, in the sense that God said, go reach Nineveh. And he said, no. But the Ninevites then respond to Jonah, the prophet who had, God had to have him go in a whale for him to even like, go do it. And Jesus looks at these guys, religious people. He says, you know what? The Ninevites who had kind of the backslidden prophet, they're better off than you because you're missing it. You don't see me. You're missing, you're missing me. I'm right here. It says the queen of the South, it's talking about the queen of Sheba. And that story is that she came to hear and listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was the king that God gave great wisdom to. God said to Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you what do you want. And Solomon said, I want to govern people well. I want wisdom. God says, I'll give you wisdom. And this lady goes all the way across his land so that she can sit and listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus says, that woman is better off than you, generation. We're talking the Ninevites who listened to the backslidden prophet. He wasn't, I mean, we're not talking about a courageous, mighty man of God. We're talking about a God who had to be puked by a fish to be obedient. And Jesus says, they're better than off than you. Why? Why? Because here I am. I'm in your midst. I'm right here with you. I'm telling you who I am. I'm declaring to you that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by me. I'm looking at you and I'm telling you that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I'm looking at you and I'm telling you who I am and you're missing it. You're missing, you're missing, you're missing the whole thing. You're so, you're so filled with religious stuff. You can't see me. You're, you're looking for signs and you're wanting to talk doctrine. But you can't see that the God of the ages is standing right in front of you. You can't even behold me. You don't even get it. You're missing it. Sometimes when I look at our moments, and I, and I love these moments. This is, this is like Christmas for me. This is the moment that I love. But my biggest fear is that we would come together and then we'd have lights and then we'd have flags and we'd have a big octagon blue roof. And we'd come together in beautiful Colorado and we'd have incredible worship bands. And we'd come together and we'd look and we'd see people and friends from across the country. And we'd be like, what's up? And we'd hear about campaigns and we'd hear about religious campaigns and good things for the poor. And we'd hear about good, good things that other people are doing. And we'd be challenged by the word of God. And yet, somehow, in the midst of all the religious stuff, that we would miss Jesus. The worst thing that could happen is that you come to desperation. And you think, I'm good because I came to the event and I was around a big Christian gig and you miss Christ. The very reason why we have this, the very core of where we're going tonight is that you would connect with Jesus that you wouldn't miss him. That if Jesus were standing right here, if Jesus were in the room, you'd know him. You'd talk to him. You'd see him. I was in Mexico with my friend, Britt Hancock, and I remember going from village to village and looking at the churches that he had planted. He's a pioneer missionary to Mexico. And what that means is that he goes where there is no church. He goes into a village and he witnesses. He tells people about Jesus. He gets someone saved. Then once he wins someone's to Christ, he deems them the pastor. He trains them, sets up the church, moves on to a new village. 
Some of my friends and I went and we were going from village to village and we were visiting some of the different churches in these different, in these different villages all across Mexico. And I just remember sitting in a hut in Mexico with open sewage over here and Christians that, ha- that had no religious systems. They didn't have lights. They didn't have t-shirts that matched. They didn't have anything. They came together. And when you were with them, when you were around them, they were really excited about just one thing. And it was just Jesus because it's all they had. There was no, there was no cool other stuff. It was just, it was, I mean, it was hot. It was a hundred and something degrees. It was heavy humidity. It was it was rough, and yet they gathered together because they were consumed and passionate about a person, not an experience, not a, not, not a, a, a doctrinal bone they had to pick, not just to see their friends, not just to get away from it all. But there's a central character they came to worship. There was one that they had given their life to. And I just remember, I remember the simplicity and the authenticity. And as we gather over the next few days, it's our prayer that your story would connect with Jesus. Not a religious event, not a Christian event, but that you would have an encounter where you talk with Jesus, where you actually surrender your life to Jesus, where you make him the King and the Lord of your life and where you behold Jesus, where you choose to follow Jesus. And listen, you can look at the life of Jesus and you can just read right through the gospels and you can find that a whole lot of people with Jesus right there with them rejected him. You find people that when Jesus' story connected with their story, when that moment happens, something, there's some response necessary. It, when, 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 they, when, when Jesus talked with people, they had to decide, well, am I going to reject him? Am I going to tolerate him but not follow him? Am I going to believe him? And this weekend, there's going to be a confrontation because session after session after session... Our aim and our goal is to just get Jesus in front of our eyes. Just behold Jesus. Get the word of God alive. Get the word of God out. Declare him what John was just saying. That he is big and that he's holy and that he's majestic and that he's true. Burning fire, all consuming God. All those things. We're talking about Jesus. And your story is going to bump up with the Jesus story. And the question will be over the next few days. What will you do? Because it's very easy, it's very easy. You can live, you can live in America, go to church, do the Christian thing and not not be following Jesus. And you can even maybe think yourself, well, I, I don't know, I do a lot of good things. Not really a bad kid. But Jesus is pretty clear when we read The scriptures that in order to be a Christ follower, in order to be one that is his true disciple, it requires something called repentance. 
It requires a switching of no longer am I the Lord of my life. No longer am I the ruler of my life. No longer am I the king of my life. No longer is it me that makes the decisions. I want to follow Jesus and I want him to be Lord and I want him to be king and I want him to be the one that I follow. If you do that, that's gonna bump up against your story because there's gonna be some things that might impact how you live. I don't know what God will do. I don't know if you say yes to this story, I don't know, maybe it, it will require you breaking up with a boyfriend. I don't know. Maybe it will require you so getting the mission of what has Jesus called you to do that you go back and you leave your comfortable area in order to maybe quit whatever schooling you're doing in order to be a missionary to a public school. It might require of you to sacrifice greatly to give to the poor. Maybe you go without a car for your junior and senior year so that you can give more dollars to help orphans around the world. I don't know. The question that I'm asking tonight is not what is, what, what's he gonna ask you to do? It's just when you encounter him, when he talks to you, will you be in a place of surrender? Will you be in a place of repentance in such a way that you will follow him no matter what he tells you to do? No matter what he says, no matter what he calls you to. When we look at the way that the followers of Jesus responded when Jesus spoke, they listened. They were wide-eyed with wonder. They wanted to hear. Religious people, they just kind of closed their eyes, just kind of almost pretended he wasn't there. Let's just keep reading. Verse 33, Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines on you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, when you, when he's, he's looking at them, he's going, I, he's told them many times, I'm, I'm the light of the world. If you'll see me, you get everything. The way that Jewish houses were back then is that one light would be lit and would be on through the night. And they would usually have one light that lit up the entire house. Oftentimes a Jewish house was uh, a one bedroom, uh, a one room house. And they were so eager to make sure that they were safe. They m- most would choose a light to be lit all night, even above food. Because if there was no light, then their house would be, uh, thieves would come in. It was assumed that, that no one lived there. And so when Jesus says this, he's saying, if you look at me, if you look to me, if you lock in with me, it lights everything else up. There's one answer, it's me. I am the way, I am the light. Look to me, fix your eyes upon me. Let's keep going, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went, he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. I like the way that the message says it. It says you're filled maggoty with with greed and, and evil, secret evil. 
He says this, he goes, so you can imagine Jesus goes in to sit with this Pharisee. And the Pharisee is surprised that Jesus doesn't wash. Now this washing wasn't like how we would wash. We wash because we know about germs, right? So our washing is like, I don't want to get sick. So that's why we would wash our hands. But this was a, an, a statement of consecration. It was a religious thing. It was a, it was a, it was a religious statement and everybody did it. All right. And so when Jesus goes in, he intentionally doesn't do the religious thing. He intentionally just, he doesn't do it. And it makes this Pharisee so mad. Can't believe you would do that. And then Jesus looks at him and he challenges him. And you get really, you get really the heart of Jesus right here because he says, um, you Pharisees make everything on the outside look so good. But what I'm looking for is what's on the inside. What I'm looking for is that I'm looking for cleanliness on the inside. I'm looking, I'm looking at your heart. You want to know what I care about? I care about your heart. I care about what's real on the inside. The interior impresses me far more than the exterior. What I'm looking for is a heart. It's clean on the inside. And if you look at, if we look at Jesus ministry, he's always, always impressed with the, with the inside. He's always looking at the inside or not, not happy with the inside. Whatever it is, he's never looking at exterior and going. It's always about what's on the inside. So everybody else might reject the adulterous woman. Jesus sees repentance. Everyone else might think there's just a thief. Jesus sees a man who says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Everyone else might be impressed with the Pharisees because they keep so many rules. Jesus says, but if, it's, if you're not clean on the inside, I see the heart. And the Pharisees were impressive. They kept over 600 laws. They were impressive. They kept a lot of rules. They memorized a lot of the Bible. It's called the Torah. They memorize it. They were the good guys. The ones that people were impressed with. And yet Jesus always zeroes in on what's... What's on the inside? I'm not so impressed with the exterior stuff. I'm aiming at the heart. I want to know what's on the inside. If you get the inside, over time, you get everything. He's looking. You look all through the life of Jesus, and it's what moves him. It's what moves him when the widow gives her only coin, the mite. Nobody else is that impressed with the equivalent of a penny or a nickel. But Jesus is because he looks at heart. What's going on on the inside? That's what matters. That's what, that's what he cares about. So as we gather together here for these next few days, I'm wondering what's going on with us on this first night with you. I'm not asking if your life is Right, and you can check the box. You know, you got good relationships here, and this is good, and you got everything balancing, and you kind of know what you're doing, school, and you're a good kid. No, I'm talking about at the very core when we worship Jesus. Is there a relationship between you and Jesus? Do you know him? I'm talking about when we disperse and there's conversations on buses and in restaurants, 
as you live out your life, your high school, your junior high back home, do you, do you know Jesus? Is it, is it real? Do you have relationship with Jesus? If all this were to go away and it were just you and Jesus, I mean, just you and him, do you know him? And does he know you? That's the crazy thing. When I read Jesus and I read what he says and he says, well, people look back and they say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And he says, away from me, I never knew you. I don't know if the question is, do you know him as much as does he know you? That seems to be a big deal to the way that Jesus talks. Does he know you? Is there a relationship? Have you surrendered? Have you looked at him and said, you are my king. I bend the knee to you. You are my savior. My life belongs to you. I'm looking at you, you, Jesus, you are my king. I want real relationship with God. I, I, I want to give you everything. Now, I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm not talking about a slice of our lives. You know, you know how we do that, where we go, we kind of categorize I'm, I got this, I got the, the sports part of my life and I got the academics part and I got my family part and I got my church part and that's my life. And that's not what I'm asking tonight. What I'm asking is, is all those things aside, is there a man that sits on a throne that is your Lord? Is he your king? Not is he your friend's king? I'm not asking if he's your mom and dad's king. Is he your king? You, put your name in there. Yeah, but David, I'm only 15 years old. Yeah, you. Do you know him? Does he, does he know you? He loves you. He delights in you. He wants to have a relationship with you. But you got to come to a place of repentance. That, that repentance is a big word. And all it means is, is that I was going my way and I decided to turn around and follow Jesus. At one point, I was, going, I was going this direction. I was doing my thing. That means I make the choices. I make the decisions. I figure out my future. I decide how I'm going to live my life. And now I turn. Jesus, how do you want me to live? Jesus, what does it look like for me to follow you? How do I be a disciple? I want to follow you. I want to follow your teachings. I want to follow you. You are my king. I surrender or I turn. I go a different direction. Some of you think, hey, maybe this needs to be, you know, this is, oh, David's talking about that big emotional moment where a few kids in the room give their life to Jesus. Ah, that's not really what I'm talking about. I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about not an emotional moment. I'm thinking about mostly a logical moment where I go, whoa, he's the God of the ages. He's the King of Kings. And I got to turn around and I, I got to go his direction, my, not mine. That, the, the Greek word there for repent, it just means turn around. And it was what, it was what when, when military uh, armies would just go, turn around and go the other direction. It doesn't have to be a huge emotional moment. I don't think that, you know, back then they were like, repent, turn around. And the soldiers started to cry. Oh, you know, it was just turn around. I'm talking about a logical decision that just says he is worthy and he is God and he is true and he is king and I'm not. And I'm going to follow him. But to do that, I mean, it requires you giving up a lot like your life. The secret, the crazy thing about the whole Jesus story is that Jesus says, actually, whoever will lose their life will find it. Whoever gives up, 
being the captain of their life, the pilot of their own plane and gives it all to Jesus. You actually, when you give up, when you just hand your life over to Jesus, that's actually where you find life. That place of freedom that we sang about tonight, that we are free. When we sing that, when we sing, we are free. When John leads us in those statements, those, what that means is the, the ways of the world, the lusts of the age, all the, all the different things that tell me the ideologies that say, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta live for materialism or I gotta live for hedonism or I gotta live for myself. All, we're free from all that and we get the freedom to just follow the one who is God, who is king, who is creator who's gonna take us to be with him forever and ever and ever. So I wanna keep going. I wanna read Matthew chapter seven. Jesus is talking here. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Guys, one of the ideologies of our day is relativism. Yeah, serve this God that God, do your thing. It's all kind of equals out, whatever. That's cool. If it works for you, do it. I remember being in high school and having people say that to me. Well, yeah, sure. If that works for you, the very core is that there's no truth. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. As Christ followers, we're ones that say, no, there is truth. Jesus is truth. One day relativism will crash. Another ideology that plagues our generation is hedonism. Hedonism just means the pursuit of pleasure. I wanna do whatever I wanna do. This is all over high school and junior high campuses, college campuses. I'm gonna live for fun. The very core of my existence is to have a good time. It's all about fun. One day hedonism will crash. Narcissism, my way, my way. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna get what I want out of life. It's gonna crash. Our country, materialism, the love of stuff, the love of the good life. This so exists in us. It's like a virus. It's like a cancer and we don't even know it. It was, it's so entrenched in our parents. Our parents are so sick with materialism and we've watched it. We've grown up in it and we don't even know we have it, but we're in it. It's all around us. It's going to crash. Jesus says, it's all going to go away. Whoever builds on those things It'll all be gone one day. There's only one thing that's on the rock. There's only one thing that's gonna last forever. 
And it's the way of Jesus. It's the way that he teaches. And the way that he teaches goes so against our culture. Right here in Matthew 7, he's concluding what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he has talked about being dependent on God through talking with him called prayer. Right now in our culture, if you were to be a man or a woman of prayer, most response is, if that works for you, great, relativism. That's cool. Jesus says, I want you to go against the flow, be a person of prayer. Fasting. Oh, man. You start, you start a disciplined life of fasting. Man, even nice, good Christian people try to talk you out of that. Jesus says it right here. Challenges us to live it. Prayer, fasting, Matthew 6, giving to the poor, sacrificially. Jesus talks about laying up treasures in heaven, forgiving. Just read through Matthew 5, 6, 7. Jesus talking here, he's going, this is, this is, this is going against the way that, the, against the way of sin. This is my way. Jesus says, but it's the only way that will last. Building on the rock, building on me, building on a person, building on Jesus and Jesus alone, repenting, going, you know what? My way isn't, my, Jesus, I'm not gonna go my way. And you know one of the reasons why we don't think that we need to repent? Because we think we're going pretty much, you know, the right way because we're going our way and we got a lot of God things going along with us. You know, we're doing a lot, of, a lot of good things. And so maybe I just need to tweak a little bit. But there's only two directions. There's no tweaking, you know. I'm kind of doing a good thing. Let me just, just kind of slide. No, no, no. Either you're a Christ follower that has repented I surrender my life to Jesus. I give you everything. I give you all. Either you're a person that's repented and I'm going after Jesus. Or you're going your own way. Jesus talks over and over again about, I want love the Lord your God with all your heart. I want all of your heart. Revelation, we find Jesus saying, I want everything. I don't want lukewarm. Revelation 2, he says, repent, do the things you did at first. I want everything. You and I, we live in a culture where as long as we go to church and smile big and do some nice things, we can think so easily that we are following Jesus and we don't look anything like Jesus. We just look like Americans that go to church and smile a lot. But the way of Jesus is far bigger than that. The way of Jesus looks like the Sermon on the Mount where we're actually dependent on God. We're actually, our future is in God. We're actually, we're thinking about him and we talk about him. We talk about our Lord and our King and we've given everything to him. So that's, that's our passion. That's what we're consumed with. That's what we pray about. It's why we fast. It's why we give sacrificially. It's why we don't live in materialism. It's why we don't do the American dream and just salt it with a little bit of God on top. No, no, we look at Jesus, we follow him, we go, whatever it takes, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you. And it means sacrifice. Following Jesus means sacrifice. It means sacrificing time, yes. It means sacrificing food, going without food to fast, yes. It means giving of our money, yes. It means giving of our future, yes. It's everything. 
And so when we come here, don't think that you come to desperation. We're going to just do a little dance. Give some little, yeah, you know, I encourage you to be good kids. Man, I'm telling you this. My, my, I, we, I don't want you to be good. Your, your youth pastor doesn't want you to be good. Write that on a t-shirt. We, we don't want you to be good. No. As youth pastors, we're ones that say, okay, we've, we've surrendered our life to Jesus. We're Christ followers. And what, what we're working on, what we're trying to do is help you behold Jesus. And you make a voluntary decision where you follow Jesus. It's way different than just being a good kid. The Pharisees were good. And Jesus called them snakes. It's so easy. I know it. I know. I know you're like, David, whoa, first night of desperation. Pharisees and, you know, wickedness on the inside. Whoa. Couldn't we start with like, kumbaya? Listen, when you look at revivals throughout history, where it impacted the globe, it always began with prayer, fasting, and repentance. When you look at moves of God in your own life, in your own journey, or as a corporate community, it always begins with repentance. What would happen if there was actual corporate repentance tonight? We always think of single repentance, and I love single repentance. But it doesn't always, I mean, the Ninevites, they all corporately repented. <laughs> Changed their land. I don't know. I don't know what could happen. Jesus, when Jesus talks, Jesus says, a whole, calls a whole generation to repent. He wants a whole generation. Last verse is this. Jesus says, this is so crazy. Guys, I'm just reading, I'm just reading these verses and I'm just going, is this really true? Listen to Jesus. This is, this is the word of God here. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. This word, this phrase scares me. And only a few find it. The Jesus way is the narrow way. It's not, I'm going to do my thing and... Play a Christian CD occasionally. It's about surrender. The broad road is any other way other than the Jesus way. Any other way other than just Jesus. And Jesus is the only way that leads to life. I love that right there. It's the road that leads to life tell you this your way your way you know the capacity that you have to decide I'm going to do life my way leads to death there's only one way that leads to life it's the Jesus way and as you start to behold Jesus you see him Scripture says that we're transformed by beholding him. When we see him, when we look upon him, when we stare at him, we start to go, oh, that is awesome and I'm not that way. I need to change this. Uh. Oh, and um, ooh, I have this, this, 
Jesus, you don't have that. I need to, I need to get rid of that. And Jesus, you have compassion and you have love. And Jesus, I need that and I need that. And by beholding, by staring, by looking at Jesus, by we're transformed. We become like him. We start to change. Tonight, we're going into a prayer meeting to start this whole thing. And my prayer is that it's a prayer meeting filled with repentance. Tonight, some of you, you need to look at Jesus and go, okay, I've said I'm a Christ follower, but this doesn't look like Jesus. I got lust in my heart and I want to repent of it. God, I want to be different. I repent, Jesus, I repent of it. Some of you, you've, you've got so much, so much rage in your heart Tonight, beholding Jesus, you just go, Jesus, man, this doesn't look like you. I I, want to repent of this and I want to get right with God. Some of you are so filled with fear. You make decisions because you fear tomorrow. But if you're following the one who made the heavens and the earth, who's the ruler, who's the king, who's going to take you to be with him forever and ever, you don't have to fear. You can repent of that tonight and say, I want to be a man. I want to be a woman of faith, not fear. Tonight, I want to give you a moment to come. Bow your knee before Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Some of you, some of you, it might be the first time that you've ever done it. And some of you, you've said a prayer. You've said a prayer before, but your faith was in a prayer. A prayer won't save you. Some of you, you think, oh, well, I go to church. You know, your church won't save you. No, Jesus saves you. Jesus will save you. The church won't. Just the little prayer won't. The little No, Jesus does. And you've got to connect with Jesus tonight. And you've got to look at Jesus tonight and say, I, I surrender to you. I give you my life. Don't miss him. Amidst all the hoopla, all the stuff, all the flags and all the lights and lights going crazy and John Egan with his hair so cool and all the stuff. Don't miss Jesus. Don't come here and buy the t-shirt. Don't come here and do the experience. If you come here and you don't repent of your sin and get on your face before Jesus and connect with Jesus, this is all in vain. We have come. We don't want to be the Pharisees and miss him. I don't want to be, I don't want to have everything right on the outside. Look slick. Do the Jesus thing on the outside, but on the inside. Worms and ugly and gross because it's filled with me. No. Tonight is a night of repentance. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I give you my life. You're worthy of my life. And so take it. I'll follow Jesus. I'll go a different direction. I'll turn around. I will not be the Lord of my life. I will not be the pilot. I will not be the captain. I will not be the king. Jesus, I surrender. You're my Lord. If that's you tonight, I'd like you to run down here, get on your face and join me and let's surrender our need to Jesus. And I just want you to get before Jesus and just repent of any sin that's in you. Any sin, anything that doesn't look like Jesus and join me in a prayer meeting. And let's just repent before God. 
And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. 